Should we say something? said Hermione in a worried voice, pressing her cheek against the charm's window so that she could see Mr. and Mrs. Montague marching inside. About what happened to him, in case it helped Madame Pomfrey cure him? Course, nah, he'll recover, said Ron indifferently. Anyway, more trouble for Umbridge, isn't it? said Harry in a satisfied voice. He and Ron both tapped the teacups they were supposed to be charming with their wands. Harry's spouted four very short legs that would not reach the desk and wriggled pointlessly in midair. Ron's grew four very thin spindly legs that hoisted the cup off the desk with great difficulty, trembled for a few seconds, then folded, causing the cup to crack into two. Repero, said Hermione quickly, mending Ron's cup with a wave of her wand. That's all very well, but what if Montague's permanently injured? Who cares? said Ron irritably, while his teacup stood drunkenly again, trembling violently at the knees. Montague shouldn't have tried to take all those points from Gryffindor, should he? If you want to worry about anyone, Hermione, worry about me. You, she said, catching her teacup as it scampered happily away across the desk on four sturdy little willow-patterned legs and replacing it in front of her. Why should I be worried about you? When Mum's next letter finally gets through Umbridge's screening process, said Ron bitterly, now holding his cup up while its frail legs tried feebly to support its weight. I'm going to be in deep trouble. I wouldn't be surprised if she sent a howler again. But it'll be my fault Fred and George left you wait, said Ron darkly. She'll say I should have stopped them leaving. I should have grabbed the ends of their brooms and hung on or something. Yeah, it'll be all my fault. Well, if she does say that, it'll be very unfair. You couldn't have done anything. But I'm sure she won't. I mean, if it's really true they've got premises in Diagon Alley now, they must have been planning this for ages. Yeah, but that's another thing. How did they get premises? said Ron, hitting his teacup so hard with his wand that its legs collapsed again, and it lay twitching before him. It's a bit dodgy, isn't it? They'll need loads of galleons to afford the rent on a place in Diagon Alley. She'll want to know what they've been up to to get their hands on that sort of gold. Well, yes, that occurred to me, too, said Hermione, allowing her teacup to jog in neat little circles around Harry's, whose stubby little legs were still unable to touch the desktop. I've been wondering whether Mundungus has persuaded them to sell stolen goods or something awful. He hasn't, said Harry curtly. How do you know, said Ron and Hermione together. Because, Harry hesitated, but the moment to confess finally seemed to have come. There was no good to be gained in keeping silent if it meant anyone suspected that Fred and George were criminals. Because they got the gold from me. I gave them my triwizard winnings last June. There was a shocked silence. Then Hermione's teacup jogged right over the edge of the desk and smashed on the floor. Oh, Harry, you didn't, she said. Yes, I did, said Harry mutinously. And I don't regret it either. I didn't need the gold, and they'll be great at a joke shop. But this is excellent, said Ron, looking thrilled. It's all your fault, Harry. Mum can't blame me at all. Can I tell her? Yeah, I suppose you'd better, said Harry dully, especially if she thinks they're receiving stolen cauldrons or something. Hermione said nothing at all for the rest of the lesson, but Harry had a shrewd suspicion that her self-restraint was bound to crack before long. Sure enough, once they had left the castle for break and were standing around in the weak May sunshine, she fixed Harry with a beady eye and opened her mouth with a determined air. Harry interrupted her before she had even started. It's no good nagging me, it's done, he said firmly. Fred and George have got the gold. 
Spent a good bit of it, too, by the sounds of it. And I can't get it back from them, and I don't want to, so save your breath, Hermione. I wasn't going to say anything about Fred and George, she said in an injured voice. Ron snorted disbelievingly, and Hermione threw him a very dirty look. No, I wasn't, she said angrily. As a matter of fact, I was going to ask Harry when he's going to go back to Snape and ask for occlumency lessons again. Harry's heart sank. Once they had exhausted the subject of Fred and George's dramatic departure, which admittedly had taken many hours, Ron and Hermione had wanted to hear news of Sirius. As Harry had not confided in them the reason he had wanted to talk to Sirius in the first place, it had been hard to think of things to tell them. He had ended up saying to them truthfully that Sirius wanted Harry to resume occlumency lessons. He had been regretting this ever since. Hermione would not let the subject drop and kept reverting to it when Harry least expected it. You can't tell me you've stopped having funny dreams, Hermione said now, because Ron told me last night you were muttering in your sleep again. Harry threw Ron a furious look. Ron had the grace to look ashamed of himself. You were only muttering a bit, he mumbled apologetically, something about just a bit farther. I dreamed I was watching you lot play Quidditch, Harry lied brutally. I was trying to get you to stretch out a bit farther to grab the quaffle. Ron's ears went red. Harry felt a kind of vindictive pleasure. He had not, of course, dreamed anything of the sort. Last night, he had once again made the journey along the Department of Mysteries corridor. He had passed through the circular room, then the room full of clicking and dancing light, until he found himself again inside that cavernous room full of shelves on which were ranged dusty glass spheres. He had hurried straight toward row number 97, turned left and ran along it. It had probably been then that he had spoken aloud, just a bit farther, for he could feel his conscious self struggling to wake, and before he had reached the end of the row, he had found himself lying in bed again, gazing up at the canopy of his four-poster. You are trying to block your mind, aren't you? said Hermione, looking beadily at Harry. You are keeping going with your occlumency. Of course I am, said Harry, trying to sound as though this question was insulting, but not quite meeting her eye. The truth was that he was so intensely curious about what was hidden in that room full of dusty orbs that he was quite keen for the dreams to continue. The problem was that with just under a month to go until the exams and every free moment devoted to studying, his mind seemed saturated with information when he went to bed, so that he found it very difficult to get to sleep at all. When he did, his overwrought brain presented him most nights with stupid dreams about the exams. He also suspected that part of his mind, the part that often spoke in Hermione's voice, now felt guilty on the occasions it strayed down that corridor, ending in the black door, and sought to wake him before he could reach journey's end. You know, said Ron, whose ears were still flaming red, if Montague doesn't recover before Slytherin play Hufflepuff, we might be in with a chance of winning the cup. Yeah, I suppose so, said Harry, glad of a change of subject. I mean, we've won one, lost one. If Slytherin lose to Hufflepuff next Saturday... Yeah, that's right said Harry, losing track of what he was agreeing to. Cho Chang had just walked across the courtyard, determinedly not looking at him. The final match of the Quidditch season, Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw, was to take place on the last weekend of May. Although Slytherin had been narrowly defeated by Hufflepuff in their last match, Gryffindor was not daring to hope for victory, due mainly, though of course nobody said it to him, to Ron's abysmal goalkeeping record. He, however, seemed to have found a new optimism. I mean, I can't get any worse, can I? 
he told Harry and Hermione grimly over breakfast on the morning of the match. Nothing to lose now, is there? You know, said Hermione, as she and Harry walked down to the pitch a little later, in the midst of a very excitable crowd, I think Ron might do better without Fred and George around. They never exactly gave him a lot of confidence. Luna Lovegood overtook them with what appeared to be a live eagle perched on top of her head. Oh, gosh, I forgot, said Hermione, watching the eagle flapping its wings as Luna walked serenely past a group of cackling and pointing Slytherins. Cho will be playing, won't she? Harry, who had not forgotten this, merely grunted. They found seats in the topmost row of the stands. It was a fine, clear day. Ron could not wish for better, and Harry found himself hoping against hope that Ron would not give the Slytherins cause for more rousing choruses of Weasley is our king. Lee Jordan, who had been very dispirited since Fred and George had left, was commentating as usual. As the team zoomed out onto the pitches, he named the players with something less than his usual gusto. Bradley, Davis, Chang, he said, and Harry felt his stomach perform less of a backflip, more a feeble lurch as Cho walked out onto the pitch, her shiny black hair rippling in the slight breeze. He was not sure what he wanted to happen any more, except that he could not stand any more rows. Even the sight of her chatting animatedly to Roger Davis as they prepared to mount their brooms caused him only a slight twinge of jealousy. And they're off! said Lee. And Davis takes the quaffle immediately. Ravenclaw Captain Davis with a quaffle. He dodges Johnson. He dodges Bell. He dodges Spinnet as well. He's going straight for goal. He's going to shoot and... and... Lee swore very loudly. And he scored! Harry and Hermione groaned with the rest of the Gryffindors. Predictably, horribly, the Slytherins on the other side of the stands began to sing. Weasley cannot save a thing. He cannot block a single ring. Harry said a hoarse voice in Harry's ear. Hermione! Harry looked around and saw Hagrid's enormous bearded face sticking between the seats. Apparently he had squeezed his way all along the row behind, for the first and second years he had just passed had a ruffled, flattened look about them. For some reason, Hagrid was bent double as though anxious not to be seen, though he was still at least four feet taller than everybody else. Listen, he whispered, can you come with me now while everyone's watching the match? Uh, can't it wait, Hagrid? asked Harry, till the match is over. No, said Hagrid. No, Harry, it's got to be now, while everyone's looking the other way, please. Hagrid's nose was gently dripping blood. His eyes were both blackened. Harry had not seen him this close up since his return to the school. He looked utterly woebegone. Course, said Harry at once. Course we'll come. He and Hermione edged back along their rows of seats, causing much grumbling among the students who had to stand up for them. The people in Hagrid's row were not complaining, merely attempting to make themselves as small as possible. I appreciate this, you two, I really do, said Hagrid as they reached the stairs. He kept looking around nervously as they descended toward the lawn below. I just hope she doesn't notice us going. You mean Umbridge, said Harry. She won't. She's got her whole inquisitorial squad sitting with her, didn't you see? She must be expecting trouble at the match. Yeah, well, a bit of trouble wouldn't hurt, said Hagrid, pausing to peer around the edge of the stands to make sure the stretch of lawn between there and his cabin was deserted. Give us more time. What is it, Hagrid? said Hermione, looking up at him with a concerned expression on her face as they hurried across the lawn toward the edge of the forest. Yeah, you'll see in a mo 
said Hagrid, looking over his shoulder as a great roar rose from the stands behind them. Hey, did someone just score? It'll be Ravenclaw, said Harry heavily. Good, good, said Hagrid distractedly. That's good. They had to jog to keep up with him as he strode across the lawn, looking around with every other step. When they reached his cabin, Hermione turned automatically left toward the front door. Hagrid, however, walked straight past it into the shade of the trees on the outermost edge of the forest, where he picked up a crossbow that was leaning against a tree. When he realized they were no longer with him, he turned. We're going in here, he said, jerking his shaggy head behind him. Into the forest, said Hermione, perplexed. Yeah, said Hagrid. Come on now, quick, before we're spotted. Harry and Hermione looked at each other, then ducked into the cover of the trees behind Hagrid, who was already striding away from them into the green gloom, his crossbow over his arm. Harry and Hermione ran to catch up with him. Hagrid, why are you armed? said Harry. Just a precaution, said Hagrid, shrugging his massive shoulders. You didn't bring your crossbow the day you showed us the Thestrals, said Hermione timidly. Nah, well, we weren't going in so far then, said Hagrid. And anyway, that was before Ferenzi left the forest, wasn't it? Why does Ferenzi leaving make a difference? asked Hermione curiously. Because the other centaurs are good and royal at me, that's why, said Hagrid quietly, glancing around. They used to be, well, you couldn't call them friendly, but we got on all right. Kept themselves to themselves, but always turned up if I wanted a word. Not any more. He sighed deeply. Ferenzi said that they're angry because he went to work for Dumbledore? Harry asked, tripping on a protruding root, because he was busy watching Hagrid's profile. Yeah, said Hagrid heavily. Well, angry doesn't cover it. Ruddy livid. If I hadn't stepped in, I reckon they'd have kicked Ferenzi to death. They attacked him, said Hermione, sounding shocked. Yep, said Hagrid gruffly, forcing his way through several low-hanging branches. He had half the herd onto him. And you stopped it, said Harry, amazed and impressed. By yourself? Course I did. Couldn't stand by and watch him kill him, could I? said Hagrid. Lucky I was passing, really, and I'd have thought Ferenzi might have remembered that before he started sending me stupid warnings, he added hotly and unexpectedly. Harry and Hermione looked at each other, startled, but Hagrid, scowling, did not elaborate. Anyway, he said, breathing a little more heavily than usual, since then the other centaur has been livid with me, and the trouble is they've got a lot of influence in the forest. Cleverest creatures in here. Is that why we're here, Hagrid? asked Hermione. The centaurs? Ah, uh, no, said Hagrid, shaking his head dismissively. No, it's not them. Well, of course, they could complicate the problem, yeah, but you'll see what I mean in a bit. On this incomprehensible note he fell silent and forged a little ahead, taking one stride for every three of theirs so that they had great trouble keeping up with him. The path was becoming increasingly overgrown, and the trees grew so closely together as they walked farther and farther into the forest that it was as dark as dusk. They were soon a long way past the clearing where Hagrid had shown them the Thestrals, but Harry felt no sense of unease until Hagrid stepped unexpectedly off the path and began wending his way in and out of the trees toward the dark heart of the forest. Hagrid! said Harry, fighting his way through thickly knotted brambles over which Hagrid had stepped easily, and remembering very vividly what had happened to him on the other occasions he had stepped off the forest path. 
Where are we going? Bit further, said Hagrid over his shoulder. Come on, Harry, we need to keep together now. It was a great struggle to keep up with Hagrid, what with branches and thickets of thorn through which Hagrid marched as easily as though they were cobwebs, but which snagged Harry and Hermione's robes, frequently entangling them so severely that they had to stop for minutes at a time to free themselves. Harry's arms and legs were soon covered in small cuts and scratches. They were so deep in the forest now that sometimes all Harry could see of Hagrid in the gloom was a massive dark shape ahead of him. Any sounds seemed threatening in the muffled silence. The breaking of a twig echoed loudly, and the tiniest rustle of movement, though it might have been made by an innocent sparrow, caused Harry to peer through the gloom for a culprit. It occurred to him that he had never managed to get this far into the forest without meeting some kind of creature. Their absence struck him as rather ominous. Hagrid, would it be all right if we lit our wands? said Hermione quietly. Er, uh, all right, Hagrid whispered back. In fact... He stopped suddenly and turned around. Hermione walked right into him and was knocked over backward. Harry caught her just before she hit the forest floor. Maybe we best just stop for a moment so I can fill you in, said Hagrid, before we get there, like. Good, said Hermione as Harry set her back on her feet. They both murmured, Lumos, and their one tips ignited. Hagrid's face swam through the gloom by the light of the two wavering beams, and Harry saw that he looked nervous and sad again. Right, said Hagrid. Well, see, the thing is... He took a great breath. Well, there's a good chance I'm going to be getting the sack any day now, he said. Harry and Hermione looked at each other, then back at him. But you've lasted this long, Hermione said tentatively. What makes you think? Umbridge reckons it was me that put that niffler in her office. And was it? said Harry, before he could stop himself. No, it ruddy well wasn't, said Hagrid indignantly. Only anything to do with magical creatures, and she thinks it's got something to do with me. You know she's been looking for a chance to get rid of me ever since I got back. I don't want to go, of course, but if it wasn't for, well... The special circumstances I'm about to explain to you, I'd leave right now before she's got a chance to do it in front of the old school like she did with Trelawney. Harry and Hermione both made noises of protest, but Hagrid overrode them with a wave of one of his enormous hands. It's not the end of the world. I'll be able to help Dumbledore once I'm out of here. I can be useful to the Order, and you lot will have grubbly plank. You'll... You'll get through your exams fine. His voice trembled and broke. Don't worry about me, he said hastily as Hermione made to pat his arm. He pulled his enormous spotted handkerchief from the pocket of his waistcoat and mopped his eyes with it. Look, I wouldn't be telling you this at all if I didn't have to. See, if I go, well, I can't leave without, without telling someone because I'll... I'll need you to help me, and Ron, if he's willing. Of course we'll help you, said Harry at once. What do you want us to do? Hagrid gave a great sniff and patted Harry wordlessly on the shoulder with such force that Harry was knocked sideways into a tree. I knew you'd say yes, said Hagrid into his handkerchief. But I won't never forget. Well, come on, just a little bit further through here. Watch yourselves now. 
There's nettles. They walked on in silence for another fifteen minutes. Harry had opened his mouth to ask how much farther they had to go when Hagrid threw out his right arm to signal that they should stop. Really easy, he said softly. Very quiet now. They crept forward, and Harry saw that they were facing a large, smooth mound of earth nearly as tall as Hagrid that he thought, with a jolt of dread, was sure to be the lair of some enormous animal. Trees had been ripped up at the roots all around the mound, so that it stood on a bare patch of ground surrounded by heaps of chunks and boughs that formed a kind of fence or barricade behind which Harry, Hermione, and Hagrid now stood. Sleeping, breathed Hagrid. Sure enough, Harry could hear a distant, rhythmic rumbling that sounded like a pair of enormous lungs at work. He glanced sideways at Hermione, who was gazing at the mound with her mouth slightly open. She looked utterly terrified. Hagrid, she said in a whisper barely audible over the sound of the sleeping creature. Who is he? Harry found this an odd question. What is it? was the one he had been planning on asking. Hagrid, you told us, said Hermione, her wand now shaking in her hand. You told us none of them wanted to come. Harry looked from her to Hagrid, and then, as realization hit him, he looked back at the mound with a small gasp of horror. The great mound of earth on which he, Hermione, and Hagrid could easily have stood was moving slowly up and down in time with a deep, grunting breathing. It was not a mound at all. It was the curved back of what was clearly... Well, no, he didn't want to come, said Hagrid, sounding desperate. But I had to bring him, Hermione. I had to. But why? asked Hermione, who sounded as though she wanted to cry. Why? What? Oh, Hagrid. I knew if I just got him back, said Hagrid, sounding close to tears himself, and, and taught him a few manners, I'd be able to take him outside and show everyone he's harmless. Harmless, said Hermione shrilly and Hagrid made frantic hushing noises with his hands as the enormous creature before them grunted loudly and shifted in its sleep. He's been hurting you all this time, hasn't he? That's why you've had all these injuries. He don't know his own strength, said Hagrid earnestly, and he's getting better. He's not fighting so much anymore. So this is why it took you two months to get home said Hermione distractedly. Oh, Hagrid, why did you bring him back if he didn't want to come? Wouldn't he have been happier with his own people? They were all bullying him, Hermione, cause he's so small, said Hagrid. Small, said Hermione. Small? Hermione, I couldn't leave him, said Hagrid, tears now trickling down his bruised face into his beard. You see... He's my brother. Hermione simply stared at him, her mouth open. Hagrid, when you say brother, said Harry slowly, do you mean... Well, half-brother, amended Hagrid. Turns out me mother took up with another giant when she left me dad, and she went and had Grop here. Grop? said Harry. Yeah. Well, that's what it sounds like when he says his name, said Hagrid anxiously. He don't speak a lot of English. I've been trying to teach him, 
Anyway, she don't seem to have liked him much more than she liked me. You see, with giantesses, what counts is producing good, big kids. And he's always been a bit on the runty side for a giant. Only sixteen foot. Oh, yes, tiny, said Hermione, with a kind of hysterical sarcasm. Absolutely minuscule. He was being kicked around by all of them. I just couldn't leave him. Did Madame Maxime want to bring him back? asked Harry. She, well, she could see it was right important to me, said Hagrid, twisting his enormous hands. But, but, she got a bit tired of him after a while, I must admit. So we split up on the journey home. She promised not to tell anyone, though. How on earth did you get him back without anyone noticing? said Harry. Well, that's why it took so long, see, said Hagrid. Could only travel by night and through wild country and stuff. Course, he covers the ground pretty well when he wants to, but he kept wanting to go back. Oh, Hagrid, why on earth didn't you let him? said Hermione, flopping down onto a ripped-up tree and burying her face in her hands. What do you think you're going to do with a violent giant who doesn't even want to be here? Well, now, violent, that's a bit harsh, said Hagrid, still twisting his hands agitatedly. I'll admit he might have taken a couple of swings at me when he's been in a bad mood, but he's getting better, loads better, settling down well. What are those ropes for, then? Harry asked. He had just noticed ropes thick as saplings stretching from around the trunks of the largest nearby trees toward the place where Grawp lay curled on the ground with his back to them. You have to keep him tied up, said Hermione faintly. Well, yeah, said Hagrid, looking anxious. You see, it's like I say, he doesn't really know his strength. Harry understood now why there had been such a suspicious lack of any other living creature in this part of the forest. So what is it you want Harry and Ron and me to do? Hermione asked apprehensively. Look after him, said Hagrid croakily, after I'm gone. Harry and Hermione exchanged miserable looks. Harry uncomfortably aware that he had already promised Hagrid that he would do whatever he asked. What? What does that involve, exactly? Hermione inquired. Not food or anything, said Hagrid eagerly. He can get his own food, no problem. Birds and deer and stuff. No, it's company he needs. If I just knew someone was carrying on trying to help him a bit, teaching him, you know. Harry said nothing but turned to look back at the gigantic form lying asleep on the ground in front of them. Grawp had his back to them. Unlike Hagrid, who simply looked like a very oversized human, Grawp looked strangely misshapen. What Harry had taken to be a vast, mossy boulder to the left of the great earthen mound, he now recognized as Grawp's head. It was much larger in proportion to the body than a human head almost perfectly round and covered with tightly curling, close-growing hair the colour of bracken. The rim of a single large fleshy ear was visible on top of the head, which seemed to sit, rather like Uncle Vernon's, directly upon the shoulders with little or no neck in between. The back, under what looked like a dirty brownish smock comprised of animal skins sewn roughly together, was very broad, and as Grawp slept it seemed to strain a little at the rough seams of the skins. The legs were curled up under the body, 
Harry could see the soles of enormous, filthy bare feet, large as sledges, resting one on top of the other on the earthy forest floor. You want us to teach him? Harry said in a hollow voice. He now understood what Ferenzi's warning had meant. His attempt is not working. He would do better to abandon it. Of course, the other creatures who lived in the forest would have heard Hagrid's fruitless attempts to teach Grawp English. Yeah, even if you just talk to him a bit, said Hagrid hopefully. Because I reckon if he can talk to people, he'll understand more that we all like him really and want him to stay. Harry looked at Hermione, who peered back at him from between the fingers over her face. Kind of makes you wish we had Norbert back, doesn't it? he said, and she gave a very shaky laugh. You'll do it then, said Hagrid, who did not seem to have caught what Harry had just said. We'll, said Harry, already bound by his promise. We'll try, Hagrid. I knew I could count on you, Harry, Hagrid said, beaming in a very watery way and dabbing at his face with his handkerchief again. And I don't want you to put yourself out too much, like, I know you've got exams. If you could just nip down here in your invisibility cloak maybe once a week and have a little chat with him, I'll wake him up then, introduce you. What? No, said Hermione, jumping up. Hagrid, no, don't wake him. Really, we don't need... But Hagrid had already stepped over the great trunk in front of them and was proceeding toward Grawp. When he was around ten feet away, he lifted a long, broken bough from the ground, smiled reassuringly over his shoulder at Harry and Hermione, and then poked Grawp hard in the middle of the back with the end of the bough. The giant gave a roar that echoed around the silent forest. Birds in the treetops overhead rose, twittering from their perches and soared away. In front of Harry and Hermione, meanwhile, the gigantic Grawp was rising from the ground, which shuddered as he placed an enormous hand upon it to push himself onto his knees, and turned his head to see who and what had disturbed him. All right, Grawpy, said Hagrid in a would-be cheery voice, backing away with a long bow raised, ready to poke Grawp again. Had a nice sleep, eh? Harry and Hermione retreated as far as they could while still keeping the giant within their sights. Grawp knelt between two trees he had not yet uprooted. They looked up into his startlingly huge face, which resembled a grey full moon swimming in the gloom of the clearing. It was as though the features had been hewn onto a great stone ball. The nose was stubby and shapeless, the mouth lopsided and full of misshapen yellow teeth the size of half-bricks. The small eyes were a muddy greenish-brown and just now were half gummed together with sleep. Grawp raised dirty knuckles as big as cricket balls to his eyes, rubbed vigorously, then, without warning, pushed himself to his feet with surprising speed and agility. Oh my! Harry heard Hermione squeal, terrified beside him. The trees to which the other ends of the ropes around Grawp's wrists and ankles were attached creaked ominously. He was, as Hagrid had said, at least sixteen feet tall. Gazing blearily around, he reached out a hand the size of a beech umbrella, seized a bird's nest from the upper branches of a towering pine, and turned it upside down with a roar of apparent displeasure that there was no bird in it. Eggs fell like grenades toward the ground, and Hagrid threw his arms over his head to protect himself. Anyway, Grawpy, shouted Hagrid, looking up apprehensively in case of further falling eggs. I brought some friends to meet you. Remember I told you I might? Remember when I said I might have to go on a little trip and leave them to look after you for a bit? 
Remember that, Gorpy? But Gorp merely gave another low roar. It was hard to say whether he was listening to Hagrid or whether he even recognized the sounds Hagrid was making as speech. He had now seized the top of the pine tree and was pulling it toward him, evidently for the simple pleasure of seeing how far it would spring back when he let go. No, Gorpy, don't do that, shouted Hagrid. That's how you ended up pulling up the others. And sure enough, Harry could see the earth around the tree's roots beginning to crack. I got company for you, Hagrid shouted. Company, see? Look down, you big buffoon. I bought you some friends. Oh, Hagrid, don't, moaned Hermione. But Hagrid had already raised the bow again and gave Gorp's knee a sharp poke. The giant let go of the top of the pine tree, which swayed menacingly and deluged Hagrid with a rain of needles and looked down. This, said Hagrid, hastening over to where Harry and Hermione stood, is Harry Grop, Harry Potter. He might be coming to visit you if I have to go away, understand? The giant had only just realized that Harry and Hermione were there. They watched in great trepidation as he lowered his huge boulder of a head so that he could peer blearily at them. And this is Hermione, see? Her... Hagrid hesitated. Turning to Hermione, he said, Would you mind if he called you Hermie, Hermione? Only it's a difficult name for him to remember. No, not at all, squeaked Hermione. This is Hermie, Grop, and she's going to be coming and all. Isn't that nice, eh? Two friends for you to... Gropy, no! Grop's hand had shot out of nowhere toward Hermione. Harry seized her and pulled her backward behind the tree so that Gorp's fists scraped the trunk but closed on thin air. Bad boy, Gorpy! Harry heard Hagrid yelling as Hermione clung to Harry behind the tree, shaking and whimpering. Very bad boy! You don't grab! Ouch! Harry poked his head out from around the trunk and saw Hagrid lying on his back, his hand over his nose. Grop, apparently losing interest, had straightened up again and was again engaged in pulling back the pine as far as it would go. Right, said Hagrid thickly, getting up with one hand pinching his bleeding nose and the other grasping his crossbow. Well, they are. You've met him and... and now he'll know you when you come back. Yeah. Well... He looked up at Grop, who was now pulling back the pine with an expression of detached pleasure on his boulderish face. The roots were creaking as he ripped them away from the ground. Well, I reckon that's enough for one day, said Hagrid. We'll, uh, we'll go back now, shall we? Harry and Hermione nodded. Hagrid shouldered his crossbow again and, still pinching his nose, led the way back into the trees. Nobody spoke for a while, not even when they heard the distant crash that meant Grop had pulled over the pine tree at last. Hermione's face was pale and set. Harry could not think of a single thing to say. What on earth was going to happen when somebody found out that Hagrid had hidden Grop in the forest, and he had promised that he, Ron, and Hermione would continue Hagrid's totally pointless attempts to civilize the giant? How could Hagrid, even with his immense capacity to delude himself that fanged monsters were lovably harmless, fool himself that Grop would ever be fit to mix with humans? Hold it, said Hagrid abruptly, just as Harry and Hermione were struggling through a patch of thick knotgrass behind him. He pulled an arrow out of the quiver over his shoulder and fitted it into the crossbow. Harry and Hermione raised their wands. Now that they had stopped walking, they too could hear movement close by. Oh, blimey, 
said Hagrid quietly. I thought that we told you, Hagrid, said a deep male voice, that you are no longer welcome here. A man's naked torso seemed for an instant to be floating toward them through the dappled green half-light. Then they saw that his waist joined smoothly with a horse's chestnut body. This centaur had a proud, high-cheekboned face and long black hair. Like Hagrid, he was armed. A quiver full of arrows and a long bow were slung over his shoulders. How are you, Megorian? said Hagrid warily. The trees behind the centaur rustled and four or five more emerged behind him. Harry recognized the black-bodied and bearded Bane, whom he had met nearly four years ago on the same night he had met Ferenzi. Bane gave no sign that he had ever seen Harry before. So, he said, with a nasty inflection in his voice, before turning immediately to Megorian. We agreed, I think, what we would do if this human showed his face in the forest again. This human now, am I? said Hagrid testily. Just for stopping all of you committing murder? You ought not to have meddled, Hagrid, said Megorian. Our ways are not yours, nor are our laws. Ferenzi has betrayed and dishonored us. I don't know where you work that out, said Hagrid impatiently. He's done nothing except help Albus Dumbledore. Ferenzi has entered into servitude to humans, said a grey centaur with a hard, deeply lined face. Servitude, said Hagrid scathingly. He's doing Dumbledore a favor, is all. He is peddling our knowledge and secrets among humans, said Megorian quietly. There can be no return from such disgrace. If you say so, said Hagrid, shrugging. But personally, I think you're making a big mistake. As are you, human, said Bane, coming back into our forest when we warned you. Now you listen to me, said Hagrid angrily. I'll have less of the our forest if it's all the same to you. It's not up to you who comes and goes in here. No more is it up to you, Hagrid, said Megorian smoothly. I shall let you pass today because you are accompanied by your young. They're not his, interrupted Bane contemptuously. Students, Megorian! From up at the school. They have probably already profited from the traitor Ferenzi's teachings. Nevertheless, said Megorian calmly, the slaughter of fools is a terrible crime. We do not touch the innocent. Today, Hagrid, you pass. Henceforth, stay away from this place. You forfeited the friendship of the centaurs when you helped the traitor Ferenzi escape us. I won't be kept out of the forest by a bunch of mules like you, said Hagrid loudly. Hagrid, said Hermione in a high-pitched and terrified voice as both Bane and the Grey Centaur poured at the ground. Let's go, please, let's go. Hagrid moved forward, but his crossbow was still raised and his eyes were still fixed threateningly upon Megorian. We know what you are keeping in the forest, Hagrid, Megorian called after them as the centaurs slipped out of sight. And our tolerance is waning. Hagrid turned and gave every appearance of wanting to walk straight back to Megorian again. You'll tolerate him as long as he's here. It's as much his forest as yours, he yelled, while Harry and Hermione both pushed with all their might against Hagrid's moleskin waistcoat in an effort to keep him moving forward. Still scowling, he looked down. His expression changed to mild surprise at the sight of them both pushing him. He seemed not to have felt it. Calm down, you two he said, turning to walk on while they panted along behind him. Ruddy old nags, though, eh? Hagrid, 
said Hermione, breathlessly skirting the patch of nettles they had passed on their way there. If the centaurs don't want humans in the forest, it doesn't really look as though Harry and I will be able... Ah, you heard what they said, said Hagrid dismissively. They wouldn't hurt foals, I mean kids. Anyway, we can't let ourselves be pushed around by that lot. Nice try, Harry murmured to Hermione, who looked crestfallen. At last they rejoined the path, and after another ten minutes, the trees began to thin. They were able to see patches of clear blue sky again, and hear, in the distance, the definite sounds of cheering and shouting. Was that another goal? asked Hagrid, pausing in the shelter of the trees as the Quidditch Stadium came into view. Or do you reckon the match is over? I don't know, said Hermione miserably. Harry saw that she looked much the worse for wear. Her hair was full of bits of twigs and leaves, her robes were ripped in several places, and there were numerous scratches on her face and arms. He knew he could look little better. I reckon it's over, you know, said Hagrid, still squinting toward the stadium. Look, there's people coming out already. If you two hurry, you'll be able to blend in with the crowd, and no one'll know you weren't there. Good idea said Harry. Well, see you later then, Hagrid. I don't believe him, said Hermione in a very unsteady voice the moment they were out of earshot of Hagrid. I don't believe him. I really don't believe him. Calm down, said Harry. Calm down, she said feverishly. A giant? A giant in the forest? And we're supposed to give him English lessons? Always assuming, of course, we can get past the herd of murderous centaurs on the way in and out. I... Don't believe him. We haven't got to do anything yet. Harry tried to reassure her in a quiet voice as they joined a stream of jabbering Hufflepuffs heading back toward the castle. He's not asking us to do anything unless he gets chucked out, and that might not even happen. Oh, come off it, Harry, said Hermione angrily, stopping dead in her tracks so that the people behind her had to swerve to avoid her. Of course he's going to be chucked out, and to be perfectly honest, after what we've just seen, who can blame Umbridge? There was a pause in which Harry glared at her, and her eyes filled slowly with tears. You didn't mean that, said Harry quietly. No. Well, all right, I didn't, she said, wiping her eyes angrily. But why does he have to make life so difficult for himself? For us. I don't know. Weasley is our king. Weasley is our king. He didn't let the quaffle in. Weasley is our king. And I wish they'd stop singing that stupid song, said Hermione miserably. Haven't they gloated enough? A great tide of students was moving up the sloping lawns from the pitch. Oh, let's get in before we have to meet the Slytherins, said Hermione. Weasley can save anything, he never leaves a single ring. That's why Gryffindors all sing, Weasley is our king. Hermione, said Harry slowly. The song was growing louder, but it was issuing not from a crowd of green and silver-clad Slytherins, but from a mass of red and gold moving slowly toward the castle, which was bearing a solitary figure upon its many shoulders. Weasley is our king. Weasley is our king. He didn't let the quaffle in. Weasley is our king. No, said Hermione in a hushed voice. Yes, said Harry loudly. Harry, Hermione, yelled Ron, waving the silver Quidditch cup in the air and looking quite beside himself. We did it. We won. They beamed up at him as he passed. There was a scrum at the door of the castle and Ron's head got rather badly bumped on the lintel. 
but nobody seemed to want to put him down. Still singing, the crowd squeezed itself into the entrance hall and out of sight. Harry and Hermione watched them go, beaming, until the last echoing strains of Weasley is our king died away. Then they turned to each other, their smiles fading. We'll save our news till tomorrow, shall we? said Harry. Yes. All right, said Hermione wearily. I'm not in any hurry. They climbed the steps together. At the front doors, both instinctively looked back at the forbidden forest. Harry was not sure whether it was his imagination or not, but he rather thought he saw a small cloud of birds erupting into the air over the treetops in the distance, almost as though the tree in which they had been nesting had just been pulled up by the roots.